Hello, and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 6 Pan Am. It was the Roman poet Juvenal back in the turn of the second century that is credited with originating the phrase panem et circenses. The Latin phrasing translates literally as bread and circuses and was referring to the fact that if you kept the populace fed and entertained, they would be far less concerned with the bigger and more important issues that the ruling class really didn't want you to worry about. Ruling classes don't like revolutions after all. But there is no denying that Pan M, or bread, is a staple of life. This is true today, and it was even more so during the 19th century. In England, during this era, the average family of six would go through an incredible 55 pounds, it's about 25 kilos, of bread in a week. Just one week. That's roughly 31 of our modern loaves a week. If you were a part of the working class, of which most people were a part of, your diet would consist of bread with a scraping of butter for breakfast, bread and potatoes with a little meat for dinner, and more bread for supper. In today's society, the average man needs about 2,500 calories to maintain their weight, in the 19th century, your calorie intake with all of this bread would have been around about 6,500 calories. And at that time, that was what was needed just to maintain your weight. So it gives you an idea of how much more physical their lives actually were. So there is no denying just how important bread was to your daily life at this time. So crucial was bread to literally everyone that the government had to regulate the price of bread as well as imposing fines on bakers that cheated their customers. These penalties were severe and for this reason bakers often added extra loaves into the order when selling their bread to ensure that they met the requirements. The extra loaf they added to a dozen ordered gave rise to what we now know as the baker's dozen, 13 loaves there were other reasons for regulation as well. The cost of a loaf in 1837, at the time when Queen Victoria took the throne, was fourpence and a farthing. This was a full quarter of the agricultural workers' daily wages. So can you imagine spending 25% of your daily pay on just buying loaves of bread? And it was because bread was such an integral part of your survival that the penalties for stealing it were so severe. Stealing a loaf of bread could result in months of hard labour. Hard labour was often work such as working in a quarry, building roads or working at the docks. And by working at the docks, I mean you're going to be dredging the Thames while living in the cramped quarters of what was known as a hulk. Not the green one. These were the large ships that were usually used as prisons because the rest of the buildings were already full. The cramped ships might sound bad, but if you were in a prison on land, you may be required to work in a treadmill. 
like the treadmill we know for hamsters today, a prisoner would be required to walk every day in the treadmill. Some prisons would use the treadmill to provide flour that would then later be sold, but later in the century it simply became a pointless exercise to keep them working hard with no result. If that wasn't enough of a frustration, for some doing hard labour it meant that in your cell there was a large handle in one wall which the prisoner was required to turn for most of their day. This handle could be tightened by the wardens making it harder to turn and it's from this punishment that corrections officers became known as screws. Growing up in Australia in the 1980s, one of the biggest serial TV shows running was based on a fictitious women's prison. Called Prisoner, or in the UK it was also known as Cell Block H, the term screws was applied to the corrections officers. I had no idea that that's where the term came from. These punishments were abandoned in 1898, but up until 1868, for stealing bread you could have actually been shipped off to a penal colony. If you survived the trip, you were to serve your sentence in a land completely alien to what you knew, hot, dry, and with wildlife that was literally alien to anything you had ever seen, and most of it could kill you really, really, really easily. Welcome to Australia, where my guiding principle is, if it has more or less than two legs, it's probably poisonous and it can kill you. We do have great beaches though, well, except for the sharks, the crocodiles... Blue ringed octopus, stonefish, box jellyfish. Why do people come here anyway? Extreme tourism? Convicts are another podcast, I think. Back to bread. So, if people were stealing it, no doubt generally out of desperation, just how good was their bread? The wheat that is used today has a higher gluten content, and this results in our breads being lighter and fluffier than a Victorian loaf. And while today's bakers have the fortune to use dried yeast, Victorian bakers bought buckets of brewer's yeast from their local brewery. This yeast was called ale balm, and it made for a sweet-tasting bread. But it was unpredictable in its cooking performance. This unpredictability gave us the modern word we use for someone's erratic behaviour when we refer to someone as being balmy. As the century progressed, the quality of bread came to be gauged by the colour. The whiter the bread, the better the quality and eventually even the poorest parts of a community were expecting white bread instead of brown. So village bakers began making two different types of white loaves, a cheaper one priced for rural households and a higher quality bread that would be sold to the middle class. The upper class and wealthy people didn't have to shop for bread, after all they had servants at home to bake their own. But then we came to the 1840s, these years were also known as the Hungry Forties as there was a run of bad harvests that caused bread prices to soar. During this time, famine became a very real threat to many homes. Those that couldn't afford bread then resorted to what was known as crammings. These bread rusks were made from the sweepings from the baker's floor, 
They were intended for poultry feed, but you could boil them and make a pudding that staved off hunger for a little while. Truly the meal of the very desperate. Huge demand for white bread, growing urban populations and shortages of supplies meant that people having to eat adulterated food became commonplace. Without getting into chemistry, because hey, I had enough of that at high school, a double sulfate of aluminium is known as alum. Why am I telling you this? Because that double sulfate known as alum was added to bread because it made it whiter. I can make it sound kind of bad when I phrase it that way, but given that ingesting alum inhibits the absorption of nutrients and causes diarrhea amongst a population already malnourished, you can then recognize that eating this bread isn't going to be good for you in the long run. Tragically, these sorts of physical reactions could be fatal, especially in children. That was probably as bad as it got, but bakers were also known to add potatoes which I'm kind of okay with, but they would sometimes add sawdust and in some instances even plaster of Paris to loaves to bulk them up and to increase their margins and sales. So you can see why, as I said earlier, the government finally decided to step in and regulate the baking industry, not only for the pricing, but for the products that could be used in baking. It wasn't only in baking that adulteration was occurring though. Most industries were experiencing this to some degree, but real legislation started coming in after 1858 and what became known as the Bradford Lozenge Scandal. The lozenge manufacturer had intended to make his lozenges and adulterate them with plaster of Paris. Sure, that's not good, I know, but he mistakenly used arsenic. That's even worse, we all know that. 200 people were poisoned, but also 20 people died. So finally laws started coming in that addressed these issues. I can't help but think, sure, glad you brought in the laws, but wow, took 20 dead people and 200 poisoned. Anyway, back to baking and putting aside those within the industry that were guilty of such horrible acts. Given how popular bread was, you'd think it would be a pretty good career being a baker. Well, if you chose a baking career, the ovens you would use were small and of a basic design. You'd start work at 11 o'clock at night, and even before you started baking, you had issues. Lots of them. You couldn't just duck down to the local bakery supplier and get what you needed. Flour came in various grades, depending on the bread that you wanted to bake. Butter came in different classes. You had different types of sugar. Eggs needed to be fresh, so where do you go to get those? Even in the 1800s, the supplies were international. You needed good butter? You try Ireland, maybe Holland, or even New Zealand. The French had good eggs, and Hungary and America made the better flowers. So you needed to pick what worked best for your budget, your customers, and your business. Got all that sorted? Fantastic. Let's get baking. Once you got the oven fired up and hot, you would rake out the coals to ensure that you were getting the right temperature. And you needed to get good at this. Because don't forget, in the 19th century, you don't have a dial to set the temperature. You don't even have a thermostat. Using the flour supplied in the 20 stone sacks that you hauled by yourself, you then made up your dough. 
and you made that dough by hand. Bakers wouldn't have mechanical dough mixers until the 20th century. But if your hands got tired, well, some bakers just used their feet to knead the dough as well. While the dough raised, you could maybe doze off on a sack of flour, but you couldn't sleep or you might miss the right time and the dough would spoil. And it would be hard not to sleep. The temperature in the bakery was often over 90 degrees Fahrenheit or 32 degrees Celsius. Also, there were usually rats in a bakery and if you fell asleep, yes, well, I'm sure you get the idea there. So you'd start baking your loaves, having to keep an eye on them constantly to make sure they cooked correctly, as well as dealing with the customers coming to your shop and also organising your deliveries. After all that, you could expect to go to bed at about 4pm. You've been awake since 11pm yesterday and it all starts again tomorrow. And the average life expectancy of a Victorian era baker was 42. So while much has changed since then, spare a thought for all the effort that your local baker has to go through, even with the modern machinery. Also, support your local baker and buy from a business owned by someone, not a company. Or make your own, it can actually be quite satisfying. Uh, in the show notes, I'm going to post a recipe for a cob loaf that I actually <laughs> learned to make myself. It's really simple. I'm not going all master chef on you. It's just a loaf of bread. Ah, interactive podcasting. So here endeth the episode. My website is victoriangaslamp.com. You can email me at victoriangaslamp at gmail.com with any suggestions you might have for future episodes. Happy to look into whatever might interest you as well. You are the ones listening on Twitter at VicGasLamp and my Instagram account is VictorianGasLamp. Post there probably a couple of times a week and I do it as a bit of a, an extra aside to the podcast itself. Speaking of which, the next episode will be out in two weeks so keep a lookout for that and I'll see you next time under the gas lamp. <laughs>